Hello Convention of States podcast listeners. This is our weekly podcast featuring historic legacy content from our audio archives. We hope you are educated and inspired by this week's episode. In today's episode, Mark Levin caps off the 2022 Convention of States Reclaiming Liberty Summit's awards banquet with a stirring speech. Then, he sits down for a one-on-one interview with Convention of States President Mark Meckler. Levin is a nine-time number one best-selling author, nationally syndicated radio host, Fox News host of Life, Liberty, and Levin, and formerly an official in the Ronald Reagan administration. A lot of years ago, when we started Convention of States, and I told some of this story earlier, we were incredibly blessed because I had a good friend by the name of Mark Levin. That's always a blessing, by the way. And, uh, and Mark and I knew each other from the Tea Party movement, and uh, Mark would say, and I, I would agree, we would both say, literally, by providence, by the hand of providence, Mark wrote the book Liberty Amendments at the same time that Mike Ferris and I were forming up the Convention of States Project. And it's the truth is that neither of us knew. And you know, I knew Mark was writing a book, uh, and I was out there doing my own thing with Mike Ferris and, and the others who helped us found up the organization, but there was no coordination. So Mark is writing a book about using Article 5 to call a convention of states to propose amendments to restrain federal tyranny, which sounds pretty good. And at the same time, Mike Ferris and I are founding up an organization to call a convention of states to propose amendments to restrain federal tyranny. Now that's impossible to do those two things at the same time without any coordination. See, because nobody in the country was talking about using Article 5 at that point. If you had said Article 5 to most people, they would have said, yeah, like, is that the fifth article in the New York Times or what is that? Nobody knew about this. And I think God had his hand in it. And those two projects, that book and our actual launch of the organization happened literally the same week and it changed history. And I can tell you personally, uh, knowing Mark has changed my life. He's a, he's a force of nature. He's an incredible man. He, he's been an incredible man as long as I know him. But I got to mention, he became even more incredible when he met Julie and married Julie Strauss. So. <laughs> we love you, Julie. Thanks for being here. You know, all, all week long we've been talking about this idea that everybody who comes on this stage, and it wasn't necessarily planned this way, it's just how, how life works and how this organization works. Everybody who comes on this stage is a friend of Convention of States. They love you for what you do. They respect you. They believe that you're the people who have the best chance of saving this nation with God's help, and they're relying on you to do it. Every person who comes up here is one of those people. And Mark's certainly no exception to that. You know, he's really the founder of the movement intellectually with the Liberty Amendments. But I, I got to tell you a little bit about the man on a very personal level and, and one of the reasons I love him so much. If you don't know this story, you might be surprised to hear this. This is not something that you would normally say in polite company or start a story with. But once, I was in jail. <laughs> My mom hates when I say that. <laughs> My mom's a retired law enforcement officer, so she really hates when I say it. I got arrested on a bogus gun charge in New York City trying to check in at the airport, and I declared my weapon. It's not one of those where I accidentally had it in my bags, and I declared it, and they have crazy rules in New York City, and they charged me with carrying a loaded firearm in New York City. And when they found out who I was, and this might sound kind of familiar with what's going on in today's world and and what they're doing with law enforcement, when they found out that I was a public figure and I was a Tea Party guy, they added a little charge called with intent to do harm, which carries a mandatory prison sentence of 15 years on Rikers Island. So it was serious. And they took me to jail, and, you know, it's a... There's a few of us in the movement that have actually been in jail, and it's something you never forget. And when that door slams shut, and you hear that sound, you've all heard that sound in the movies, the sliding door, the sound of metal clanking. Well, when you're actually on the inside of that door and you hear that happen, you understand how very thin the line is between liberty and tyranny. Mark wrote a book about that. And you feel it, and it's visceral. 
and it's horrible. And so I was in there, I was in, uh, in Queens Central Booking, whatever you think about when I say that, yeah, it's that bad and worse. And uh, a lot of people have suffered a lot worse than me. I'm not telling this story so that you feel bad for me. It all, all worked out in the end. It was a long, it was a bad thing. <laughs> it was just a terrible period in our lives, me and Patty. It was very rough. But I remember getting out of jail and getting released. I had friends who came down and got me out and helped me get out. And they kind of whisked me away out of New York City. And uh, it was just before Christmas. And they brought me to Washington, D.C., where a bunch of my friends were, and that's where I was headed in the first place. And I was sitting in a hotel room that they had gotten for me, a very nice hotel, by myself, and just kind of shell-shocked. Like, you know, that's not a real thing that happens to law-abiding people. I was just shell-shocked. And my phone rang. And on the other end was Mark Levin. Mark said, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm okay, I'm okay. And he said, it's going to be fine. I promise you it's going to be fine. You have friends, and we will stand with you no matter what, so you don't have to worry about this. It's all going to be okay. So I just want you to understand that if you can have a friend like Mark Levin, then you got the greatest gift the world that can, can possibly give you. So it is an honor and a pleasure to introduce you to my friend, the one, the only, the great one, Mark Levin. Everybody wave, so the media can say you just did a uh, Third Reich sign there. <laughs> First of all, I am so amazed and proud when I look out here and see all these great patriot activists, including my wife, Julie, My mother-in-law, Sylvia, and you talk about spouses and a mother-in-law, I've been blessed by God. And also, Mark and Patty, the Mecklers, are fantastic people. They truly are. One of my great heroes, Mike Farris is here, way ahead of his time. We miss Senator Tom Coburn, of course. Folks, here's, the, here's, here's what I want to say to you. I got a lot of requests to speak. I turned 99.9% of them down. You want to hear me speak? Turn on the radio. <laughs> want to see me speak? Turn on the TV. <laughs> this is the most crucial movement in America, bar none. <clears throat> and you have great generals. It was just so awe-inspiring to watch you folks come up here, and many of you back there, to see all of you. Because I remember when Mark and Mike were starting their convention of states, I mean, basically in a telephone booth. You remember those, don't you? <laughs> and I had written this book, and it started to take off. You've got 19 states. It's a lot of work to get 34. But they're already wetting themselves, aren't they? <laughs> they're already concerned, aren't they? Oh, yes, all those patriots are getting together to change the Constitution. We don't want to change the Constitution. We want to uphold the Constitution. They're changing the Constitution. These people don't even believe in the Constitution. 
They don't even believe in American history. They've destroyed Madison's home. They've destroyed Jefferson's home. They're destroying our colleges and universities. They're destroying our public schools. They destroyed the southern border. They're destroying our currency and our economy. They're destroying our military. They've destroyed police forces across the country. We don't need lectures from them about us destroying anything. We are the ones that want to uplift this country and believe in this country. You know, this country goes through different cycles. Some good, some not so good. We're going through a very bad cycle right now. Jefferson said, Joseph Story said, Ronald Reagan said, if we're going to be destroyed, we're going to be destroyed from within. We're being destroyed from within. There's simply no question about it. There are forces in this country that have devoured much of the culture who hate the country. They don't believe in individual liberty. They believe in centralized government. They claim that they support the Constitution. Well, I heard one of the bright stars of the left speaking during the uh, Supreme Court hearings, the oral argument involving redistricting in the state of Alabama. And we heard from the solicitor of Alabama, and she interrupted him, and she lectured him about the 14th Amendment. And she said, utterly preposterous, that the Equal Protection Clause demands unequal protection. And then I thought, this is the woman who couldn't define woman. But this is how bad it is. They destroy the language. They destroy the gender. They destroy our history. They destroy our founders. There's only one movement in America that's standing up to them, and it's Convention of States. There's not another one. We want our Constitution back and we're going to take it back, whether they like it or not. We have a man in the Oval Office who keeps saying democracy is under threat. We're not a democracy, genius. <laughs> We're a constitutional republic. We're not a democracy. The only body that's directly elected is the House. It's one of the worst bodies that we have, as a matter of fact. These are the same people who want to destroy separation of powers. These are the same people who want to destroy checks and balances. These are the same people who want to destroy the independence of the judiciary as they continually try to pack the Supreme Court. These are the same people who want to get rid of the filibuster rules so they can ram through their radical left agenda. These are the same people who want to nationalize the voting system in violation of at least four provisions of the Constitution of the United States. These are the same people who want to allow D.C. and Puerto Rico to become states so they can get four more members in the Senate. These are the same people who attack every piece of the First Amendment and the Second Amendment the Fourth Amendment, the Fifth Amendment, the Ninth Amendment, and the Tenth Amendment. And they're worried about us changing the Constitution? <laughs> what Convention of States does, it prevents tyranny. It challenges tyranny. There is simply no other way that exists under our system. And it's crucially important. They're going to come and attack you the more states that are added, and that's fine. We're happy to engage them, but just be ready. This fight has only just begun. 19 states, what are we, 15 left or something to that effect? Yes, 15. Well, when you hit 25, they're going to go through the roof because then they're going to become nervous. They're already nervous, but they're going to become more nervous. 
And part of the problem you're going to have is people who you think are your friends, people who you think are with the right political party, you're going to find who's all talk and no action very, very quickly. And you've already seen it in some of these states. I remember the great state of Arizona, Andy Biggs, Speaker of the House, right? He blocked it. He blocked the vote. He goes on TV, he's very conservative about federal issues. How the federal government's destroying America. Well, he had a chance to help us, and he didn't. So when they asked to come on my show, X. <laughs> X. It's very simple. To understand this movement is to fundamentally understand the Constitution. You see, in order to be part of this movement, you have to at least know some of the Constitution. You have to know how to argue for the Constitution. You have to know the history behind aspects of the Constitution. You have to know who George Mason is and what George Mason did. You have to know all these things. You are more informed, self-educated, vibrant citizens, again, than in any other movement in this country, regardless of party, regardless of philosophy. It's very, very important. What was this, 11 years ago you started? Nine years, uh, feels like 11 in dog years. <laughs> 11 years ago, <clears throat> you started. Nobody knew what Convention of States was, right, Mike? Nobody knew what Convention of States was. Now they know, or at least a lot of people know, and they're concerned about it. We spread the word. You people, you will be noted by history. Maybe not by your individual names in every instance, but you will be remembered. Because this is the movement that has stepped up to the plate. You are the people who stepped up to the plate. You don't seek fame. You don't seek glory. You seek to protect your country for your family and your kids and your grandkids. This is crucially, crucially, crucially important. Elections come and elections go. We can't win them all, although I pray to God we do, but we can't win them all. But even when we do, there are people in Washington, people in Washington who fear this movement the way they feared the Tea Party movement. They're okay with the way things are going. They just want to be in charge of the way things are going. They'll spend like drunken Marxists, just like the other side does, and they already have. They won't lift a finger to secure the border. They had their chance. Well, I guess Trump did, actually. But the others didn't really support it. So this is a battle, really, against the establishment. The establishment likes what's going on. Washington is not going to fix Washington, ever. The major parties are not going to fix Washington, ever. There's just too much going for them and against the rest of the country. So one of the things I wanted to do tonight is to make sure you understand that you're not the unknown wash or group mass out there who's pushing this agenda. Many of you are under the radar. That's where we want to be, as long as we can be. Many of you wonder as you toil out there if it's worth it. Let me tell you, there's nothing more worth it than this. And let me tell you one other thing. I, can't, I hope I live to see, and I can't wait for the day when there is a convention of the states, and I can sit in the gallery, and I can sit in the gallery somewhere and watch what's taking place. That would be one of the greatest acts a people could take in order to preserve their own republic. And I mean that we have a number of things going against us and one big thing going for us. The media hate us. The media are ignorant. The media are radical left. The colleges and universities hate us. They're radical left. 
Washington hates us, radical left, whatever they are, but I believe God is behind us. And we stand with him and he stands with us. We will defeat the Lilliputians. They won't really matter that much. <laughs> now this issue of whether we want to change the Constitution. They have an ongoing constitutional convention in Washington, D.C. every damn day as they chip away at this document. Where did the government get the power to mandate vaccines on the American people? This is indicative of a huge problem. It's always understood that was a state issue. That was a state issue. Where did the President of the United States get the power to give $10,000 to every student took out a loan? He doesn't have that power. How about the failure of an administration a DHS, a Department of Justice, to secure the border under existing federal immigration laws, which they refuse to do. How about this idea of sanctuary cities and the nullification of federal immigration law? They're all for federalism if it gets them tyranny. They're all for centralized government most of the time because it gets them tyranny. We are a movement that seeks to blunt this. There's no other way to do it and it's constitutional, and it's civil, and it's rational, and it's reasonable. When I started to write the book, The Liberty Amendments, I started to write against Article 5. Not that anyone would read it, but I write about what I want to write about. <laughs> and as I started studying, I said, wait a minute, I'm on the wrong side of this damn thing. <laughs> and the more I studied it, the more excited and passionate I became about it. And I said, this would be a fantastic movement to counter the counter-revolution in this country. What would the founders say? What would the framers at the Constitutional Convention say? Well, we know what some of them said. They're the ones who put it in there. They're the ones that adopted it. They're the ones who ratified it in the states. We're not doing anything bizarre or peculiar. We are following the Constitution. And unlike much of the establishment in Washington, D.C., that reads things that are apparently in invisible ink in the Constitution, this is in black and white, in plain English, in the Constitution. Anybody who wants to understand it can understand it. And Madison was right. There has to be another way to amend the Constitution. Otherwise, we could have tyranny. Because what's left of the people? There's no other way to do it. They don't even bother amending the Constitution anymore. They just change it. And they hope that the law won't catch up with them. That's how reckless this has become. Now, I said we go through cycles in this country. We're losing the country. The country is unraveling. We're losing our institutions. We are losing our traditions, even more so than nine years ago. We're not at the precipice looking into the abyss. We're sliding into the abyss. This is no joke. This is incredibly serious. Our institutions are being destroyed. Even our state institutions are being destroyed. Our cultural institutions are being destroyed. Our families are under attack by the federal and state governments when it comes to parental rights. The family structures coming under attack when it comes to all kinds of perversities that are being indoctrinated into your little kids. This nation's diversity, yet unity through diversity, is under assault with critical race theory and racism dressed up as an honest theory. American history is being rewritten. So the men who gave us the greatest nation on the face of the earth are treated no better than rabid dogs. They've taken over Madison's house, they've taken over Jefferson's house, they've taken over our classrooms, they've taken over the media. 
we are facing the demise of America as we know it today. I am not kidding. I've been an activist since I was 13 years old. I'm 65. I have never seen anything like this in my life. Even the United States military is under attack from within, as are police under attack from within. Now, people say to me, why does that party want to destroy America? Don't they have children? Well, they have less than we do, but don't they believe in grandchildren, have grandchildren? because they want to rebuild it in their own image. Marx tells us you need to destroy the status quo. And if there's a period of despotism, he writes, that's to be expected until we go to paradise, heaven on earth. Heaven on earth has killed 100 million human beings, 2 million Uyghurs imprisoned in China. Cuba is a police state, a prison island. I can go through the wonderful paradise of Marxism. It was a joke. He was a joke, but not a very funny one. And so the Democrat, excuse me, I'm not talking politics. You know who I mean. <laughs> the party that used to stand for eugenics, the party that stands for abortion on demand, the party that stands for everything that is not what we believe in, they are the entity through which these Marxist movements are operating. Folks, I'm not using hyperbole here. I'm telling you what's taken place. My father, uh, he will have passed away four years ago on the 15th of this month. And uh, he was 93 when he passed. And God, I wish he were here, and my mother. But I also thank God he hasn't seen this. He would just wonder what in the hell is going on in my country. You, ultimately, are what stand between them and the rest of us. I don't believe they're in the majority. I believe we're still in the majority. But whether we're in the majority or not, it was a third of the American revolutionaries represented about a third of the population. It's never really the majority that determines history. You should, if you don't, think every day as you volunteer of Independence Hall, the Declaration of Independence, you should think after the Revolutionary War of Independence Hall the Constitution of the United States. That is what you're doing. That is who you are. The original revolutionaries went up against the greatest military force on the planet. It took them eight, eight and a half years to defeat them. Washington lost almost every battle he fought, but he wasn't really strategically intending to win every battle, just the last one. You're up against it, too. The most powerful bureaucracy man has ever created, the most powerful and corrupt media man has ever seen, the most powerful and corrupt educational system that a free people could ever create, and basically a Roman Congress, if you will, that is self-indulged, while the nation is under attack from within and from without. You're it. But the positive also is, in addition to having God on your side, you have tens of millions of fellow citizens who've had enough. They don't know what to do. They're not sure what to do. But you are. You're the great patriots. You're the Sam Adams, you're the John Hancock, you're the, all the great men, most of whom are not even known, from Boston, from Philadelphia, and from elsewhere. And I don't think it's a coincidence that you're meeting in the freest place in the world right now. I mean that seriously. 
Some people want to turn the whole nation into California. I want to turn the whole nation into Florida. My time is up. God bless you folks. Mark, I want to do a little bit of history with you if we could. And uh, you mentioned, which I thought is really fascinating, you've been an activist since you were 13 years old. So how'd that start? Well, it was in a log cabin in Illinois. <laughs> I don't know. You know, my parents were conservative. Um, in 1960, they weren't, they weren't philosophical or ideological. They just knew right from wrong. And in 1964, my parents obviously Jewish. They lived in a, in, a, in a basement apartment in North Philadelphia. They didn't have much money. And they voted for Barry Goldwater. So I said to my dad, two Jews in a basement in North Philadelphia in 1964 voted for Barry Goldwater? I said, how did that happen? I'll be honest. He said, I, I knew all the bullshit they were saying about Goldwater couldn't be true. So I voted for Goldwater. <laughs> so that's how it started. <laughs> that, that actually makes perfect sense knowing you. <laughs> but here's the thing. Sorry for my cursing. Not, not really. Anyway, so... Uh, <coughs> I... Uh, as a young guy, I read a lot. And I used to watch Buckley, I used to watch Milton Friedman, I used to watch these things. I used to read National Review when it was good. I used to, and one thing led to another, Hayek, Mises, Burke, and I just started reading. And we lived fairly close to Independence Hall. And my buddy Eric and I, we would take the train down there. I must have done it 50 times as a young guy. And we walked through the Pennsylvania Assembly there. And I would look at some of the things there, believe it or not, some of the spittoons, some of the quill pens, the famous chair that uh, Washington sat the, With the sun with on the, the back. With the sun. Yep. And what Franklin said about that. And we learned and we just wanted to study and study more. To the point where my buddy Eric and I would go down there and embarrass the, uh, the park ranger <laughs> when he would take people on tours. But you look there, you look at the upper house originally, which was the Senate. Right. Look at the lower house, the lower floor, which was the house, the lower house. You look where the Supreme Court met for a period of time. You go to the spot where Jefferson wrote the first draft of the Declaration of Independence. You go where the cemetery where Benjamin Franklin and his wife were buried. You go to that townhouse where Betsy Ross sewed the first flight. You go through the first customs house. You go to all these places. And if you love your freedom, it's in here. It's right here. It's in the soul. And it grabbed me. And I was committed to it. So in 76, as an example, not to be political, that's not my point. You I can be as political as you right. want here, Mark. I supported, <laughs> I supported Reagan against Ford in Pennsylvania, even though the party took the opposite position. I supported Reagan against Bush in 80, even though the Even then I could get a taste of it. I ran for the school board when I was in law school. I won when I was 19. I'd go on that board and the votes were always eight to one, eight to one, <laughs> maybe seven to two every now and then. The, teach, the head of the teachers union would get up and start squawking at me all the time. and It's very interesting. So anyway, uh, and I formed a Tea Party group back in 1979. And so all this, you know, you either have it or you don't. Let me put it that way. It's like you folks out here. It's not like there was a strike of lightning. It was just, to be honest, if you're a thinking person and you're an informed person and you love your liberty and you thank God every day that you happen to be born in this country and not some hellhole on the face of the earth, you want to defend it. And you want to understand.
So I'm going to move forward a little bit in history. Uh, you had a chance to work in the Reagan administration. That was a pretty interesting time. A lot of young people in that administration. Uh, and so you worked with some of the greats. I mean, you worked with Ed Meese, I think one of the greatest men in modern American history, some other folks. What was it like being a young guy inside that administration? Now, that was nirvana, to tell you the truth. We didn't always get it right. We didn't always do the right thing. You know, we're imperfect. Institutions are imperfect. Sometimes you have to compromise on things, but mostly on the big things Reagan didn't compromise. He was trying to figure out ways to get things accomplished. Um, you know, uh, and part of the problem we had we were Republicans who would undermine us, who never supported Reagan in the first place. Mitch McConnell backed Gerald Ford against Reagan. Mitch McConnell hated the Tea Party. Mitch McConnell hates you. Yeah. That's just the nature of the beast there. And he's always in these prominent positions, even though he doesn't have a majority support and, and so forth. And so we faced Republicans like this all the time. And after we lost the Bork nomination, we were warned over and over again, don't send any more guys like him up there. And, um, but I can tell you from my own experience with Ed Meese, Ed Meese plowed ahead. Uh, he's the one that made a national debate over originalism which was never a national debate. The activists controlled the all debate. And he promoted originalism, the people he put in the Department of Justice almost to a man and a woman were incredibly intelligent, experienced, very young, and uh, patriots. Right across the board. It didn't matter, legislative affairs, the civil division. So, of course, they tried to take him out with two independent counsel, too. Um, it, it just fascinating. Um, so I would say that was one of the great periods in American history. And then you look 40 years later and you get Obama, who basically tries to reverse everything. The problem is, you know, um, when you're defending liberty and you try and put things in place to enshrine liberty. Evil people use liberty to destroy liberty. Right. What are we going to use to destroy them? In other words, we don't want to build massive government. We don't want to build these massive monuments to ourselves, massive bureaucracies, uh, load up you know, the, the people with all kinds of regulations, and there's our legacy. Our legacy is the opposite of that. So these people come in and they view it as a vacuum or a gap. So when you have a successful eight years of Reagan, the next guy's coming in and saying, okay, I have the latitude to do all these things that I want to do because we have, we have passed along to them a freer, in the case of Reagan, a freer and less centrally controlled government which they abuse. It's like the Constitution. They hate it, hate it, hate it, until they can try and twist it to accommodate what they want. Read things into it, rewrite it, however you want to put it. So I've been puzzled by this. How do we deal with this? I just think it is an, an, a, a, an infinite battle. And that's why so many of these, Athens is gone, Rome is gone, and America will be gone if we lose this battle. Because, yeah. He's clapping for America, by the way. <laughs> Either that or he's an infiltrator. Hey. We might have one. <laughs> that's right. <clears throat> they wouldn't survive long in here, Mark. What's that? An infiltrator. No, that's right. Well, l let me ask you a question, because you brought up the way the battle is fought by the left versus the way the battle is fought by the right. And I think this is a really pertinent and difficult question right now. And, and there's a lot of debate in the conservative movement, right? And I hear people use the term common good conservatism uh, versus traditional. I don't even know what all that stuff means. What I do know is, from my perspective, Republicans have fought soft forever. Hey, there's times when we have in the Reagan administration, but mostly we're defending ground. And so I think I would say, speaking for all of our grassroots, we're all looking for a more muscular form of Republican conservatism. Are you hopeful at all? Do you see any signs that that's rising, not out here, but within the party yet? 
I think there are uh, great leaders in the party. And I think you can see the establishment trying to destroy them and push back against them. I mean, Larry Hogan attacking Ron DeSantis. What, doesn't he have any other things to focus on the guy? I mean, it's not... And um, you see that with these old Bush Cheney folks. Uh, they don't have a clue of what's going on or how to fight these people. Not a clue. Um, that's why we all support term limits of one form or another and so forth, because these people have been around way too long and have made too many friends. You know, if you make enemies in Washington, you're my guy. <laughs> Truthfully. Yeah. Because you're not going along with these people. Yeah, I see a number of potentially good people. I see Donald Trump. Yeah. I see Ron DeSantis. Yeah. I see Ted Cruz. Yeah. I see several. Right. Uh, and I see several phonies and fakes, too, who are trying to ride that. But when you look at the four years that we had under Trump, those were four of the most conservative years we've had since Reagan. Yeah. They simply were. Yeah. And I don't mean in every respect. <clears throat> and you look at DeSantis. I have never seen a governor accomplish so much in such a short period of time in my lifetime. Um, and you look at some of these other folks, too. So, yes, I think we do have, have very, very good people. But I also think it's going to be a brutal fight. You know, it took Reagan three attempts to get the nomination of the Republican Party. And once he finally broke through, he went to the biggest landslides in American history, popular vote and electoral college vote. So we, we have obstacles that we face. And these obstacles that Reagan faced and others are the same ones you face. They're the same ones you face. Because you're bringing things to light people don't want to see. You're taking it on frontally. People don't like that. Uh, you're rocking the boat, even though people say they want it rocked. A lot of them don't. But you see what's going on in the country. You know, if you're on the left, if you're one of these Marxists like AOC or Talib or the rest of them, they wake up every day trying to figure out how to cripple this country. 24-7. So does the Democrat Party. They don't talk about liberty. They don't talk about the founders, how great they were. They don't talk about how this nation conquered Hitler and Tojo and Mussolini, how this nation has been. No, 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 no. They don't talk about all those headstones at Arlington and all the others, military, you know, graveyards across the country and across the world and the sacrifice people give and are giving right now. They contribute nothing, nothing to this country. They don't have anything invested in this country. And as a footnote, you want to see people who are brave? You look at those women in Iran right now. Those women in Iran, isn't it funny how we don't talk about them? They are throwing those headscarves down on the ground. Their faces are being shown. <clears throat> the equivalent of the Iranian SS are taking videos and pictures of these people. They're murdering them. They're torturing them. They're imprisoning them. They're raping them. They're brutalizing them. The internet shut off. How often do you see this on the news? Never. How many women's groups have come out and condemned this? Right. How about the uh, Talib, the, you know, the, what do they call them, the Stooges, whatever they are. How about them? Do they speak out? No. Those are the kind of women I support. Strong, independent, serious women like that. If you can't, in a country like this, well, you don't have to fear being murdered in the street. Well, I mean, you do, but you get my point. <laughs> and you can't rally to the defense of your own country. Then we've lost everything. Seriously. And I'm worried about it because uh, you see these police state tactics. College campuses are being segregated now. 
You have no Jew zones? Yeah. I've never heard of such a thing. You have uh, the Federal Bureau of Investigation that has been so thoroughly and completely politicized, going after pro-lifers, going after Republicans, going after people who did not create violence on January 6th, just rounding them up, refusing to protect the originalists on the Supreme Court by arresting people under existing federal law who are trying to threaten them and influence their decisions. You have an FBI, an Attorney General of the United States who's threatening parents who dare to rise up against the thuggish unions and what these unions are doing to their children. You have an Attorney General of the United States who's bringing lawsuits against state legislatures, which is none of his damn business. If somebody has seen something like this before, you've got to go back to the 1930s and start looking at Europe. You have not seen this in the United States of America, not in your lifetime. So it's very, very important, very, very important that so, we continue to confront this. So, you know, obviously everybody in here follows you, knows all this stuff, because you talk about all this stuff all the time. By the way, I know a lot of people during the elections uh, were frustrated with Fox during the last election. Nobody turned you off, though. I can tell you that for sure <coughs> in this audience. Well. Okay, so. I, I don't, you know, it's the funny thing, I don't run any of these companies right. I work for. But we do have the highest ratings on the weekend, you know. Because you're and the here, best. And here's the other thing. And I'll say this publicly, I work for a radio corporation, Cumulus, that has a very left-wing board of directors. And one of them is a senior advisor to ours on the board of Media Matters. Can you believe that? That's unbelievable. And this company owns some of the most conservative talk stations yeah. in America. So I go on the air and I trash that guy. <laughs> and the board. <laughs> And media matters. And why shouldn't I? If I don't do it, nobody's going to do it. Everybody's going to be under their thumb. Anyway. Standing on principle. So I want to ask you something specific about convention estates. And we've had this conversation on the air. Uh, and I, I just want everybody to hear it face to face from you. We have people who are quote unquote on the right. And they come out and they say that we're funded by George Soros. There's going to be a runaway convention. 1787 was a runaway convention, so the founders founded an illegitimate country. And believe it or not, we face this in the legislatures, and there are legislators that buy this stuff, and so it makes it hard for us to pass. Can you respond to that stuff for everybody here? Remember when I was invited to speak at ALEC? Yeah. And there's all the state legislatures. Yeah. And I said to them, and you should say to them, you have a specific federal constitutional duty to save this republic. You are mentioned in the Constitution of the United States under Article 5. You are part of a state legislature. You can come whining to the EPA about something or other as a state representative, or whining to the Department of Agriculture, try and get more money out of HHS or whatever it is. But you have a federal constitutional responsibility to help save this country. You in the state legislatures have more power over the Constitution than Congress does. You have more power. That's number one. Number two, George Soros, I'd say, how would you like me to sue your ass for defamation? That's number two. <laughs> but seriously, that's so ridiculous. Number three, that we will change the Constitution. The problem isn't changing the Constitution. The problem is getting us to the point where one of the proposed amendments can be considered by the entire states of the country. So you have to hit the, three, the 34 barrier, then you have to hit the 38 barrier. So how is it? Is that what they had to do in 1787? There was no such 
barrier when they were debating it. They created it. So you have to go through more hurdles to get one of these amendments instituted than any amendment ever to the Constitution of the United States, which is why they've bypassed this process. They're really saying it because they don't want you involved. They don't want we, the people, to have a mechanism through which we can take control of our government. And I don't mean the mob, but that we can promote constitutional republicanism again. Anybody who says that is just looking for an excuse, because by now, if you're a state representative or state senator and you're pushing out that pablum, you're just lying. And you know you're lying, and you're a big spender. You don't really care about what's going on. You're looking to run for federal law. You know, all these other things going on. But I would ask them, specifically, how can there be a runaway convention? I can't even imagine. How, how would you? Mike, can you even think of it? No. Well, we've been studying this for years. It's impossible for there to be a runaway convention. If we believed there could be a runaway convention, don't you think we'd be worried about the left stealing this idea and running with it? They don't have to steal this idea and run with it. They get everything they want from Washington, including changing the Constitution without going through either amendment process. We're using it because we can't defend the Constitution without using the process. So that, the bottom line is this is a very difficult process. <laughs> then vote them out of office. Yeah, and we're doing a lot of that, Mark. And one thing that you're probably not aware of that I, I want to brag on these folks is uh, a couple of years back, we realized that and originally we thought if you could get a bunch of people to call their state legislator, show up at the office, that they would do what we wanted. And what we realized is they didn't care. And unless, what you just said, unless we can throw them out or help them get elected, they didn't care. And so uh, a couple of years ago we started participating in elections. Uh, 2020 we participated in over 250 elections around the country. Flipped, uh, there were 164 Beautiful. state legislative seats that went from blue to red. This cycle will be in over 450 elections around the country. So based on your inspiration, they're not only doing convention of states, they're doing elections, they're doing pro-life legislation, they're doing property rights, they're doing election reform. Beautiful. These folks are doing the whole shebang. School, they're running for school board. I'll give you one specific story that, that you'll love. I'd love to get your reaction to this. In your home state in Virginia. Excuse uh, me. Not anymore, sorry, here in Florida. Correct. <laughs> Your old home state of Virginia. Uh, we go back and forth, but yeah, Florida's is home. my home state now. Appropriate correction, I appreciate that. Little did I know what would happen in the prior yeah, election. Exactly. Anyway, yes. So in Virginia, uh, everybody knows Youngkin gets elected. It's all the statewides go Republican. Kudos to Youngkin, great campaign in my opinion. Lots of these grassroots participated. And by the way, not just from Virginia, but grassroots all over the country focused on that off your election. Remember there was one recount at the very end of the election? Like it, literally, there was one seat. They flipped it by one seat in the House of Delegates. Virginia Beach. And in Virginia Beach was a convention of states district captain that decided to run for the House of Delegates. The recount, she won by 115 votes. There were 150 volunteers in her district who made 1,200 calls to low propensity voters on the recount. She will now be a member of the Virginia That's House fabulous. of Delegates, right? That is fabulous. Super proud of our Virginia team. Great folks. And I want to thank, again, the gentleman at the urinal. <laughs> He's at least partially responsible for that. He knows who he is. <laughs> He's going to have a great story about talking to Mark Levin at the urinal. Especially now we got it on videotape, everybody will know it's true. Uh, okay, I, we got a, a few minutes left. I want to close with something that's not political, which is uh, you have a great family. I, I know a bunch of folks in your family, great wife, mom-in-law, your parents were incredible people. The family in America is completely under assault. I mean, the family as a concept is under assault. I never thought I'd see this in, in my lifetime, where it's openly now under assault. Can you talk a little bit about that, what that means to our society? You know, the stories that my wife Julie brings to me almost every day are what's going on in these schools. And the last one was from North Dakota. 
So this is the National Education Association in the American Federation of Teachers, which is basically a massive army of Democrat activists with some percentage that's not, but the vast majority are, and that's how they recruit them, the education departments in our universities, that's how they brainwash them, and so forth and so on. It is unbelievable, and so I think it is crucially important that we continue to fight for school choice. This is something at Landmark Legal, where I used to be active, I'm now just an inactive chairman, I'm a chairman, right. where we litigated with other groups, homeschooling, which Mike Ferris was way ahead of his time. All of these available options that exist now that people are literally comfortable with talking about, again, in part due to what Mike did, the more competition, the more we get outside the government schools, the better. Because you build opposition to what these unions are doing in these schools. They're going to have a majority of the students, and they're going to have them for a long time, particularly in the inner cities and so forth. But there's no saving grace of this virus, but it did shed a light not only on what's going on in the classrooms, but what you can do in response to what's going on in the classrooms. And parents, there are parent, parental organizations all over this country now. By that, I don't mean these toady groups like the PTAs and the PTOs. I mean parents who are challenging this. And they need to continue to do it, continue to bring litigation, continue to use FOIA, continue to show up at the meetings. Uh, the other side never gives up, and they have all the resources, because you're, you're forced to pay for your own demise. You know that? Notice that? So they, sh they should uh, continue to do that. As for the family, you know, parents have a responsibility. And their responsibility is don't leave it to others to raise your kids. And don't leave it to others to explain things to your kids. When they go off in the morning, when they come back in the evening, those are your kids. Find out what's going on and make sure you pass your values on to them. That's what Saturdays and Sundays are for. Passing your values on to your own kids. You want, it, you want them to be like I was when I was a kid going to these classes, sitting in the back. I was the biggest pain in the ass that you could possibly imagine. <laughs> no way. Oh, yeah. Taking on these teachers and everything else. That's okay. Let that be your kid yeah. and defend your kid and back your kid up. And if you have teachers teaching your children perversity or transitioning or whatever, there are groups around the country that will help represent you and take these people to court. And as my wife will tell you, because she works on a lot of these issues, there, and, and I'm sure Mike, there's a 1994 federal statute. Right, honey? What? PPRA. Where parents have rights under federal law. And again, if the Republicans take over, these things should be expanded and so forth. But there are other things you can do. You should slash funding to any schools that are pushing this stuff. You realize what they're teaching kindergartners, second graders, and fifth graders. If you showed photos and books like this and spoke like this in the workplace, you'd lose your job. It's sexual harassment or something or other. In the classroom, it's perfectly fine. If we can't get those classrooms back, we can't win. Because we're going to raise... We're going to raise little revolutionaries in the next generation that, that will overthrow the country. And you know, it's interesting, and I bring this up, oh, there he goes again with Marx. No, 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 it's very, very important. See, the, the left doesn't want you to talk about Marx. They want to say, oh, we're progressives. Oh, we believe in the future. Oh, we believe, no, no, no. Marx believed, not originally, but he came to the point of believing, he and Engels, abolishing the family. What gets in the way of the state? Parents. Parents. What gets in the way? Faith. In other words, belief systems and uh, patriarchal systems outside the government are a threat to the government. 
particularly if the ideology is to keep centralizing authority. You don't want people with free will who are independent thinkers. You want conformity. You want people to follow. That's why they're against free speech. They're against competition of ideas. That's why they're against conservative sites. They try and shut them down or Fox, say what you will. They'd love nothing more than for it to go away or talk radio or this, that, or the other. They're not interested in engaging. They're not interested in free speech. They're interested in power and control. So wherever they want power and control, we need to challenge them. And it's now reached kindergarten. You may not believe it, you all know it. So they want to fight in kindergarten, we challenge them in kindergarten. We do everything we can. One day, I guess, we have all kinds of disparate groups out there. We've got all kinds of parent groups, tax groups, and so forth and so on. One day, somehow, not to create the monolith, but in some ways to network them all and coordinate them all, so we overwhelm them, Cloward and Pivens. So we overwhelm them rather than them constantly overwhelming us. But there is hope. You. There is hope. November. And there is hope. God Almighty. Thank you, Mark. To learn more, visit conventionofstates.com slash pod.